It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin, somehow still a free man, announced this week that they would be delaying printing of the Harriet Tubman $20 bill until at least 2026, the end of what would be Donald Trump's second term. God help us. Notice, I didn't even say after Donald Trump is no longer the president, because he may well be in 2026, although at that point, nothing will matter. But they delayed the printing of the bill because printing a bill with a black bitch on it might delay Donald Trump's white supremacist base. He didn't quite say that, but he actually came remarkably close. Anyway, this is Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. Thanks for joining us. Neither one of those things should surprise you, nor should our next little item, which is that President Donald Trump, he who Bill Maher refers to as a whiny little bitch, has easy fit. That's right. President Trump had a hissy fit this week, and in the latest on our continuing soap opera constitutional crisis america style says that no business will get done while the democratic party or while anybody apparently is investigating the president's criminal activity this in in response to a, a proposal to discuss infrastructure in fact a plan to discuss the discuss the latest infrastructure bill so trump ran out of that in a hissy fit went to waiting TV cameras, who could have seen that one coming, and announced that nothing's going to happen in this country while the investigation continues. That would actually probably be good news if it were really true. And thus, the absolute war on Congress grows, our constitutional crisis. Some say it's too early to call it a constitutional crisis. I don't think so, but at the very least, our budding constitutional crisis continues to grow just this week. Former White House counsel refused to uh, to comply with the subpoena and appear, appear to speak in front of the House Investigating Committee. Uh, the Trump administration has, during the past week, refused to comply with any subpoena, just issued blanket denials of anything that Congress is doing. This week, a couple of courts have ruled against the president. Surprise, 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 since he has absolutely no basis to do what he's doing. Not that that bothers him. So while efforts to get information continue to increase, the cover-up continues to, to get even greater. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say cover-up? Well, there goes our hope of getting Donald Trump to be our guest on the show, because Donald Trump's hissy fit apparently was prompted by Nancy Pelosi having said that he was engaged in a cover-up. To which Donald Trump said, in what truly may be market calendars, the most laughable thing that this jackass has said during the course of his presidency, and I quote, I don't do cover-ups. I don't do cover-ups. I don't do cover-ups. Tell that to Stormy Daniels. Tell that to Deutsche Bank. Tell that to everybody. Tell that to Mueller, in fact. Tell that to Robert Mueller and the special counsel and his team who found all kinds of instances of cover-ups or obstruction of justice, which gives us an opportunity to circle back once again to Robert Mueller and the need to have that guy testify in front of Congress. I wonder how Trump's going to stop that one, but I'm sure they're working on it. 
And, of course, to remind ourselves and our listeners how pathetically Mueller dropped the ball on this one and let all this happen because the guy wouldn't just come out and say the president of the United States is a criminal. That's what we found. If the Justice Department rules say he can't be indicted, then don't fucking indict him. But he's a criminal. And, by the way, you should be indicted. Anyway... All this came in the context this week of a New York Times article on Deutsche Bank. As I have been saying on this show since probably our very first show, as awful as the Russia stuff is, and I, it, it's remarkable that I'm saying this, as awful as the, as the Russia stuff is, it is the financial crimes, it is the international money laundering, it is the international tax evasion, that was apparently the greatest threat to Donald Trump, and this is becoming more apparent by the day. New York Times came out with an article this week on Deutsche Bank indicating that experts on money laundering at Deutsche Bank years ago put up the red flag about activity in Donald Trump and his son-in-law Jared Kushner's and their company's accounts, saying, this looks like money laundering to us, at which the higher-ups at Deutsche Bank apparently squelched that idea of looking into it because, well, they had a good thing going with that money laundering with the future president of the United States. Uh-oh, it looks like Attorney General Barr had really better start working on another summary right now because he's going to need one for the Deutsche Bank information. Anyway, before we get to our main topic on today's show, as I've been promising you, discussing how we make voting work better in this country... Spoiler alert, I really don't have any answers that are going to work. But anyway, before I get to that, I want to apologize a little bit for last week. I was talking about Trump's efforts to get us into several wars, hot wars, cold wars, and trade wars. And I left out something as I was a little pressed for time. That To be fair, we are making nice with some. While, while Trump is basically picking fights with everybody around the world, all of our allies, it's time to talk, to, to shout out, because I always said if Trump does something right, I'll, I'll be happy to shout it out. Uh, but there were a couple of efforts during the week for Trump to reach out and make nice with people around the world. Like, for instance, his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, was planning on going to Ukraine to get Ukraine to interfere in the next U.S. election. Well, at, at least we're making friends abroad. Giuliani had to cancel that trip because, gosh, it turns out there was... A bit of an uproar over it. Giuliani was very upset, of course, at the Democrats who stopped him from blatantly betraying the United States. Well, at least in person, I think Giuliani is still aware of the fact that telephones exist. I'm pretty sure he's confident about the Internet and Facebook and other social media. Or Giuliani's upset about this, of course, because as Giuliani memorably said this week uh, or last week, I guess. It's not illegal for him to go meet with Ukraine to sell out the United States of America in an election. Some might say it's improper, but it's not illegal. And thus, we have the standard for presidential administration. But our reaching out to make friends around the world didn't stop there. Let's not forget that uh, a couple of weeks ago, Donald Trump was lavish in his praise of another foreign leader. That foreign leader being the right-wing strongman and autocrat Viktor Orban of Hungary. Trump, in fact, saying, I wish we were more like them, and going on a tour of 
Eastern European nations and other autocratic regimes. Other, of course, referring to the United States as well. I mentioned that we had the biggest loser in the country, as demonstrated by his tax returns, taking us into war. And I talked about Donald Trump being a moron. I've been saying that from the very beginning on this show. I guess I should clarify that a little bit. There are a lot of people who say he's not stupid. He just knows how to play to his base. He's just an evil genius, perhaps. Uh, I've said from the beginning, I say it now, I don't believe that. Donald Trump continues to demonstrate that he is a blithering idiot who is really lucky to be living in a country where he can appeal to other blithering idiots just like himself. And that is what passes for scheming and intelligence in the Trump administration. But anyway, speaking of intelligence and brilliance, one of the things that we were promised by the President of the United States was that he only hires the best people, and he knows how to surround himself with the best people, and that's what would be coming to the United States government. And by coming to the United States government, I want to point out that we do have some uh, really qualified people leading our government agencies, and the most qualified of those people are the 271 unfilled leadership jobs, because every job that's actually filled is filled by someone remarkably unqualified to do the job. 271 unfilled leadership posts, it was pointed out a couple months ago, out of a total of 704 that require Senate confirmation, according to the Partnership for Public Service. Now, to be fair, that number is definitely not accurate, or at least it's changed somewhat in its makeup, because we have had a couple of appointments since then that have gotten through Congress, and we're, we're perhaps on our way to some more. But among those at the time, 271 unfulfilled leadership jobs, it's important to point out as we declare wars around the world, no Secretary of Defense, no Director of Homeland Security, no Director of FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, but since climate change doesn't exist, we probably don't need that one, no UN Ambassador, no Ambassador to North Korea, no Secret Service Director, no Air Force Secretary, and one of those jobs that was recently filled, we're reminded, is Secretary of the Interior, which was filled since that 271 number that I came up with. That's right. Secretary of the Interior was recently filled by a guy who doesn't believe in... Yeah, okay, so it turns out that one of those 271 of the most qualified people who don't exist in the Trump administration, we now have to strike that off the list because we have a completely unqualified person managing our federal lands, as I've discussed in prior weeks. One other position not filled, by the way, is the Director of Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, ICE. Those people direct, protecting this country from, you know, those hordes of brown-skinned people trying to come in and commit crimes that don't exist. But just this week, Mark Morgan, who is the White House's choice to lead ICE, made, made some, a bit of news when he said that he could judge the likelihood that an unaccompanied minor is a, quote, soon-to-be MS-13 gang member, close quote, by looking into that child's eyes. Yes, Donald Trump's choice to lead Immigrations and Customs Enforcement can look into children's eyes and figure out who's going to grow up to be a gang member. Wow, is he going to fit right in in the Trump administration among the best people. One other position that was recently filled, Andrew Wheeler, EPA director. We talked about him before, this former coal industry lobbyists who've taken over the protection of our environment. 
Well, turns out that his appointment is already starting to pay some dividends. And by dividends, I mean most of us are going to die, but fossil fuel companies are going to get rich. The EPA changed its assessment, its forecasts, regarding uh, implementation of the clean power plan and replaced our forecasts of how many people would be injured or killed by air pollution with a new measure that would result in an additional 1,400 premature deaths per year. 1,400 premature deaths per year, according to a recent analysis. The new analytical model would significantly reduce that number and would most likely be used by the Trump administration to defend further rollbacks of air pollution rules if it is formally adopted. Hooray! Trump's best people really paying dividends now. But one thing that does concern me in light of our current political climate, out of those 1,400 premature deaths per year, how could we be sure that none of them are fetuses? Anyway, let's talk about how effed up our voting system is in this country and some of the things that we need to do to try to fix it and make this country somehow sustainable if we survive the Trump administration. I noted on the show recently that Churchill famously was quoted saying, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. This is something that Churchill actually said. Not necessarily that democracy is the worst form of government, but he did say that it has been said. It's apparently unclear whether he was the one who said it or whether he was quoting somebody else who's unnamed. This is unlike, by the way, the quote that I mentioned is attributed to Winston Churchill regarding democracy a few weeks ago, that the greatest argument, the best argument against democracy is a five-minute conversation with the average voter, which, by all accounts, by the way, he never actually did say. There's no record of him actually having said that. Still, makes a good quote for Churchill. One thing about Churchill, he's, he's very quotable if you're making up a lot of these quotes. But we are reminded again this week, as we are reminded every day in this country, how these are not idle words, whoever said them. We are reminded of that, among other things, as Donald Trump considers this week pardoning murderers in Iraq. Murderers that might have been wearing U.S. Army uniforms or private Army uniforms working for the United States government, i.e. Blackwater people. And is it just a coincidence that a lot of these people he's thinking of pardoning worked for the company that was founded and run by Education Secretary Betsy DeVos's brother, Eric Prince? The same company, by the way, that apparently undermined our efforts in Iraq and Afghanistan, that created the biggest, worst bloodbath we had in Iraq and Fallujah by doing what they weren't supposed to do. Trump is saying, let's pardon mass murderers, torturers, people who, whether they were wearing a U.S. uniform or not, are some of the worst criminals in the country. Gosh, I hope Bernie Sanders doesn't want to allow these people to vote. Anyway, let's move on from that. Let's just add this, his abuse of the pardon power, to the long and growing list of why this president needs to be impeached and needs to be impeached right away. But the scary part of this story is the extent to which pardoning these murderers, these racists, these bigots, these misogynists, etc., is being done to shore up his appeal to his voters 
for 2020. His white supremacist base is just eating this shit up. Also this week on on the state of the U.S. voter right now, we talked a lot last time about states like Alabama racing to ban abortion. And since that time, more states have raced to emulate Alabama or to beat Alabama to basically ban abortion. Alabama, Georgia, Missouri, Mississippi, Kentucky, and Ohio, among others, passing heartbeat bills which say that abortion can't, be hap- can't happen after a fictional heartbeat is detected before almost all women will know that they're even pregnant. And when I look at this list, I can't help thinking, Ohio? Sure, you could write off Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, Missouri, and Kentucky. But Ohio? Isn't this the kind of blue, historically blue state that we keep saying we need to win back in order for Donald Trump to be thrown out of the presidency in 2020, assuming we can't throw him out otherwise? These are the stupid fucks who Democrats need in order to win the 2020 election? God, are we fucked. But as this goes on in Ohio, as they pass a a clearly misogynist bill, preventing women from getting abortions. We are supposed to be reminded that for Ohio Trump voters, it's about the economy. Right. It's about the economy for them. Sure. It's not about white male supremacy or anything. And once again, this test of what it's about is really pretty quickly failed. This is Ohio's turn once again to white male supremacy, just like the rest of this country. And it is once again a reminder that what we are going through right now is America's Nazi Germany moment. And yes, I do understand what I just said, and I absolutely mean it. This is America's Nazi Germany moment. How do you fix this? How do you support a democracy when the American voter is this fucked up? Well, I have a whole bunch of suggestions, some of which are completely impractical, but at some point may need to somehow become practical if this country is ever going to move forward and, exp- and, and improve. And the first thing, of course, that you're going to do is fix voting. We need to get to a point in this country where we are not under minority rule. Everything that Trump is doing, and of course his election itself, is an indication of how the Republicans are determined to cement minority rule in this country. That those of us who are thinking, informed, and decent human beings are going to continue ad infinitum to be ruled by people who are none of those things. How do we fix voting? Well, we make sure that people have the right to vote. We improve automatic registration. Increase it around the country. We fix our voting machines. We make voting machines plentiful so people don't have to waste their days voting. We make Election Day a national holiday. And yet even with that, we increase the availability of early voting. It's not like anybody in this country waits to the last minute to make up their minds anyway. So we make it easier for people to vote, not harder. But of course, that's just the mechanics of voting. We've got some built-in problems here. Let's start with making Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico states. Let's find a whole bunch of other areas where people are informed and might vote Democratic and make them states. While we're doing that, let's combine the Dakotas into one state. We really don't need two Dakotas. 
We don't need a South Dakota and a North Dakota filled with about 100 people and a million cows each. Let's combine the Dakotas and let's start to limit the built-in bias towards Republicans and rural voters. Uh, Let's fix the minority representation in our courts. That's related. But in order to fix voting, we're going to have to fix the judges who determine voting laws. Those judges, as I have indicated ad nauseum on this show, sorry for continuing to repeat myself, but the judges across this country, most of whom have lifetime appointments, at least the federal judges have lifetime appointments, do not reflect the will even of the majority of voters. They are increasingly reflecting the will of the minority, uninformed, thoughtless, evil American voter. That needs to change. And if Democrats do get back into power in 2020, they need to pack the courts. Period. The end. Okay, in addition to fixing voting, we're going to have to fix the mechanics to get people into the voting booth. And we're going to have to start teaching civics in this country. It is remarkable how I teach college classes and I ask the most basic questions about our country is, how our country is run. And almost none of my students can give me the basic answers. Probably fewer than 50% of my students can name their two senators. Way less than a quarter can name their congressperson. They don't know how long people are elected for. None of them, by the way, can name their state, rep- state representatives or city representatives. That's just absolutely ridiculous. We need to start teaching civics in this country uh, at an early age. Children need to be told to read a newspaper at an early age. People need to have conversations about these things at an early age. Because like most things that Republicans want to just ignore, if you ignore it, it doesn't just go away. It just makes us make really bad decisions. And we need to teach civics. I teach civics in my college classes. And I got to tell you, there was a remarkable, remarkable amount of blowback from some of the students and from some of the staff at the school and even the the idea that I'm doing that. And yet, when you talk to educational experts, it seems uniformly, one thing that they agree on is students need to learn civics. They need to learn current events. They need to learn what's going on in the world around them before they get out into the world around them. Part and parcel of that, I think, We need to expect civil service. We need to add a civil service requirement. I don't think we need to reinstitute the draft because I don't think everybody in this country should be going into the Army. I think we should be moving away from that somewhat. Uh, I'll refer back to my discussion last week. But I think that there should be some kind of civil service requirement in this country. I think a long time ago I was interviewed for the school newspaper and I was asked what my favorite quote was. This was... I think either before Stephen Colbert's famous reality has a well-known liberal bias, which is my favorite quote, or I just didn't think of it at the time. And I answered my favorite quote, of course, is JFK's line, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And I think, and I've said, that any politician who echoes that line today will be an ex-politician, at least up until recently. The idea of asking the American public to serve in some respect, the idea of telling the American voter that being part of a democracy doesn't just come with what's in it for me, but what requirements does it instill in me? Does it impose on me? Well, we need to start making it so that that is not the political kiss of death. 
And, hey, I didn't say these ideas were practical. I just said that there are things that we need to do. Maybe the first few politicians who suggest civil service, it's not going to end well for them. But maybe we need a few sacrificial lambs. Because once a whole bunch of them start saying it, maybe it becomes something that later politicians are able to say and get away with. Because we need something to inform the American voter that we have a stake in this country and we have some obligations to democracy. Speaking of obligations to democracy, people need to be informed. A lot of the reasons for teaching civics, of course, is that people need to get information. Just like capitalism, democracy does not work in the absence of information. That's why, just like democracy, capitalism is not working in America, because we don't have information, among other things. We need to promote information. We need to make sure that there are reputable and reliable news sources that are doing things beyond reporting on the weather and sports and which woman threw her baby out the window or who got hit by a car but actual real information that Americans could use to make difficult decisions, including the decisions regarding voting. And that brings us to free speech. I have always been a big supporter of free speech. I'm a proud member of the ACLU for a lot of years. And yet, we need to do something about the way we enforce free speech in this country because it's not working and it's only going to get worse. I've spoken at length in this show, so I'm not going to do this at at length at this point. But free speech in this country was about a marketplace of ideas and the way speech works. We don't have that marketplace. We have propaganda instead. People are not getting information from different sources. They're going to wherever they feel comfortable with the information they already want to receive. And that will destroy democracy. Among other things, we need to prevent public lying. I don't know how we're going to make this work within the First Amendment, but we're going to have to do that. Because, I don't know... So-called news sources like Fox News need to not exist. Rush Limbaugh, Alex Jones, etc. Right-wing radio, right-wing TV needs to not exist. When people are routinely lying to the public so that criminals can basically get away with fleecing the public, those people need to be imprisoned. And they need to be impoverished. Rush Limbaugh should be impoverished. Sean Hannity should be impoverished. And they should be taken off the air. And we can go on from there. Janine Pirro... Laura Ingraham, Tucker Carlson, all the rest of the lying sack of shit need to be told somehow that they're going to stop lying. It's awful to think about restricting speech, but it's even more awful to think about what we've got right now. I'm not sure how we even do this, but at some point we're going to have to figure out a way. Europe is busy wrestling with, with speech, for instance, and big tech. And in that sense, we're already limiting speech. Remember, free speech, like most constitutional provisions, only applies to the government. Facebook just announced that they're going to be limiting the speech of some liar, more liars on Facebook, at least for a little while until the money starts rolling in again. But Europe is wrestling with speech and big tech. And we're already understanding that we're going to need to do something about restricting speech, and we need to make this a game changer all across the board. Europe, of course, has a little bit more stake in the game regarding speech. And it's something that's an important lesson to the United States of America as I make my comment about Trump and Nazis. Europe has a little bit more of a memory of what Nazi propaganda and other right-wing authoritarian propaganda can do. Maybe the United States starts, people in the United States need to start having that memory as well. My proposal seemed radical two years ago, but since Facebook and other social media is doing it, Maybe it's becoming more on the, on the front burner for a lot of people. 
the co-founder, Chris Hughes of Facebook, made waves a couple of weeks ago with an op-ed in the New York Times. And one of the interesting things that he said was the most problematic aspect of Facebook's power is Mark's unilateral, speaking of Zuckerberg, unilateral control over speech. There is no precedent for his ability to monitor, organize, and even censor the conversations of 2 billion people. If a 30-something-year-old tech billionaire gets a chance to censor 2 billion people, we have a lot of rethinking that we need to do regarding freedom of speech. The wrong side, of course, has been restricting speech for a long time and getting away with it. I've reported on this show that it has been illegal in this country for some time to take a video inside a slaughterhouse and then publicize it because, God forbid, people know where their meat's coming from. And just this week, the legislature in Texas passed a bill regarding pipeline protests, making it a third-degree felony to interfere with a pipeline, a, a, a fossil fuel pipeline, a third-degree felony on a par with attempted murder to protest the destruction of the planet. We need to battle extremism. Addressing speech is one of the ways to do that, but we need to battle extremism in lots of other ways as well because we have a big problem with extremism. We need to start enforcing, for instance, the Establishment Clause in this country. Not an attack on religion here, just an attack on morons who use religion to guide their actions in rolling back individual rights. As Linda Greenhouse noted in a powerful op-ed in today's New York Times, religion can't be the basis for rolling back individual rights. God knows, pun intended, that extremist religion can't be the basis for doing that. And it is the basis for doing that with respect to abortion, with respect to, as we've learned this week, gay children who are born overseas, not automatically getting U.S. citizenship, unlike the children of heterosexual couples. Healthcare rollbacks for gays, for transgendered people, which continue to be instituted across this country, all on the basis of somebody's made-up religious beliefs that they've pulled out of their asses. Greenhouse's op-ed quotes a columnist from Ireland, a country which, like the rest of the civilized world, is moving away from the establishment of religion. While the United States, and you can guess who our allies are in this war, keep moving in the opposite direction. But this columnist from Ireland said, so much of what we see with anti-abortion movements in which religious fundamentalism, fake news, propaganda, and hysteria are embedded comes from the American playbook. So America is now the role model for religious extremists around the world? While the rest of the world moves forward, we continue to move backwards because of who we've chosen to lead us. Greenhouse is, in, in her column, Greenhouse also notes that there are two new rules being promulgated by the Trump administration. One is to allow any healthcare worker, anybody in the healthcare industry, to refuse to do their job because they object to whatever it might be on religious grounds. Also, no need to treat transgendered people if you are a healthcare provider. Because, you know, you have a problem with those kind of people. What's next? You don't have to treat black people? You don't have to treat women? Maybe if my religion says that in order to operate on somebody, I need to get high first. 
Well, then who can stop that? I should be getting high before I go operate on somebody. Speaker Pelosi pointed out this week after Trump had his hissy fit and walked out of their meeting on infrastructure, Pelosi said she was praying for the president and praying for the United States. That's really nice, except here's the thing. Prayer's not going to work. You're the Speaker of the House. You better make it happen. Sorry to disappoint anybody who thinks that prayer is the answer to the world's problems. Because religion doesn't mean you have to be stupid. I'm reminded about how my wife is a practicing Catholic and how many of our good friends are priests and nuns. And yet, how much I enjoy having conversations with them. Because they're not stupid. They may be priests and nuns. They may be devoted to what they see as the morals of religion teaches them to pursue. But when they run up against stupid, when facts and science run up against extremism, they believe in facts and science. So should the rest of America. Anyway, next step in promoting voting, shame. Yeah, we, we, we need to shame people. We need to shame people and we need to shame companies that are working against the interests of people in this country and in this world. I've had conversation in class when I said to students that it's a good thing when people get called out publicly. People said, you think that's a good thing? I said, yeah, you think it's a good idea that you don't call out people, let's say, who are Nazi sympathizers? You think it's a good idea that you did do business with companies that support the Nazis? We need to be shunning people who don't respect our values and who are a threat to the very survival of the planet. We should not be going to Alabama and Georgia, period, the end. I don't care how nice it is down there. I don't care that you want to go see an Atlanta Braves game. You should not be going to Atlanta or Georgia or Kentucky or Ohio or any of these other states that are passing these disgusting, disgusting abortion bans. You should not be going in a conversation with my own, one of my own family members who went to Chick-fil-A. Oh, so they, I don't agree with their religious beliefs. Their religious beliefs are to discriminate against gay people. We shouldn't be giving them our money. Every time I see a Papa John's commercial, I want to retch. And not just because I ate their pizza, because I didn't eat their pizza, because I won't eat their pizza. Obviously, eating their pizza also, from what I hear, enough to make you retch. But people shouldn't be giving business to them. We shouldn't be friends with them. We shouldn't be hanging out with them. I truly believe that. We are right now at a fight, in a fight for survival of this country and the planet. And we need to start understanding it's a fight and taking it like a fight. Fox News. Big question. Should Democrats go on Fox News? And I respect those who say that Democrats should try to reach out and appeal to that audience. On the other hand, seriously, reach out and appeal to people who at this point in time are choosing to watch Fox News and support Donald Trump? Give me a goddamn break. Other than basically executing a gay black woman on stage... What the hell could we do that could possibly appeal to people who at this point are choosing to watch Fox News? So in this, I applaud Elizabeth Warren. Fox News, go fuck yourself. No Democrat should appear anywhere near Fox News, should be seen in any way giving any kind of endorsement to Fox News. I thought before that maybe you can go on Fox News as long as it's not anything that, that seems to support their legitimacy as a news source. But I've thought twice about that, and I think that doing anything that acknowledges their existence, since they call themselves Fox News, is 
basically promoting them as a news source, is validating them somehow as a news source. And I don't think we should be doing that. And I think everybody should stay the hell away from Fox News. By the way, if you go into a doctor's office and they're playing Fox News on the TV in the waiting room, change your doctor. Um, I have talking to a, a casual friend of mine the other day. He said to me in a conversation that he's, he and his friends like to get together and talk politics. And he says to me, I'm a conservative. No offense. I guess he had a pretty good clue where my politics was. And my first thought was, that's a really weird thing to say. I'm a conservative, no offense. But the second thing I thought was, I'm offended. I'm actually offended. At this point in time, for you to call yourself a conservative, I know, I don't know that he's a Trumper, but if you're calling yourself a conservative at this point in this climate, you probably are. And yes, that's offensive. Um... Maybe what needs to happen ultimately is this country needs to be split in two. No, I'm not calling for secession, but I'm calling for the fact that reasonable, thoughtful, level-headed, educated, intelligent people need to basically just freeze out the rest of this country that refuses to come along and let them ultimately wither and die from their own lack of economic success or finally come along to the idea that we're now in the 21st century, we're not in the 15th century. Anyway, that's it for today's show. We hope to see you next week. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 